Because I am convinced that the kingdom of God restores dignity Amen. to those that feel their voice has been taken away. Well, Samuel, yeah, I'm excited that I get to interview you. Um, one, because you're a dear friend and you mean the world to me. Two, I just have a lot of joy of introducing my friends to other friends and Inverse Podcasts is a way of doing that. But three, um, I am constantly inspired by the work you do and where you do it and how you do it. And you bring together so many of my favorite things in ways that excite me, whether it be nonviolent social change or helping the church be the church in ways that actually transforms our neighborhoods and our societies. Um, so I'm glad we've got time together. Um, you have chosen a particular passage. Do you want to read that to us? Yes. Thank you very much, uh, Jared. I have chosen Matthew chapter 9 from verse 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every diseases and sicknesses. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Hmm. I'm looking forward to hearing you explore that. We first met in the U.S., where you've ministered and uh, we're a pastor of a church there. We're here now in South Africa, mm-hmm. but you've actually grown up in Ghana. No, no Nigeria. 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 <laughs> yes. I need a geography lesson. In Nigeria. Yeah. Um, uh, but you also uh, are teaching at a university uh, in Europe and in North America. Yeah, I give public lectures at universities in Europe and in the U.S. as well. And currently, my the university that I'm affiliated with is George Fox Evangelical Seminary in Portland, Oregon. Which is a fun combination because we hear George Fox and we automatically think uh, the Quakers, one of the uh, early um, Quaker figures, and uh, evangelical is in there as well. And for some people it's like, oh, that's a a fun combination. Yeah. Um, Before we explore the the passage, um, the standard question I tend to ask is, when do you first remember encountering the Bible? When was that first a, a part of your life? And... I'm hoping in asking that we can start to um, join the dots from Nigeria uh, to South Africa, to the US, uh, to Hawaii, to Europe, to all around the world where you do this uh, incredible conflict transformation work. But when do you first remember encountering the Bible? I am trying to give a 35,000 foot view answer to this. I grew up in a nominal Christian home. Hmm. A nominal in the sense that my parents have, my entire community have come, have been introduced to mission movement back at the, I think as early as the early 20th century. Hmm. So in my family lineage, there's this, the leaning towards Christendom, hmm. Christianity as a way of life because every community is 
wanting to be Christian because of the influence of the missionaries. Right. But I personally, and you can hear from my name, my name is Samuel. Actually, Samuel is my second name. Huh. My first name is Cephas, which is Peter. Yeah. Or Rock. Mm. And, but in Hausa, it's called Kephas. Kephas. Huh. Yeah. But the reason why I switched to my second name is this is a good place to talk about it because I flipped to my second name in South Africa. Really? Yes. Because the name Kephas sounds like the derogatory word that was used during apartheid. Goodness, yeah. Even though it's spelled different, sounds slightly different, Pronounced. nobody will call me Kephas because it reminds them of the negative connotation of what apartheid used to, to name people of black people in yeah. particular. So I have to flip to my second name. And since then, my second name has taken the lead. And my second name is basically named after my father. Hmm. Yeah. So I, since then, I, you can have this. I had the dual nature. In Nigeria, people call me Kephas. In, yeah. in South Africa, people call me Samuel. In the U.S., people call me Samuel. But people that knew me from growing up call me Kephas. Hmm. So enough of that background about my name. But I came to fate. I... I grew up in a family with many children, hmm. and not all of them uh, are from the same father and mother. Hmm. But because my father worked for the UN as their travel, regional traveling uh, coordinator, so it gives him more access to, we live in the city, access to enough resources. So our home became the place where everybody in the extended family can come in. This is Africa. It's hmm. not... The West, where you need to adopt somebody, they just move in. Yeah, and put them in school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if there's any way to practice living communal living in my, it's in my home. Right. <laughs> so, so I, um, my father has this brilliant idea. He he gives he calls each of the children, including his brother's kids, and gave us like kind of vocation. You're going to be the engineer. You're going to be the. Uh, doctor, this and that. When it came to my turn, he said, you're going to be a lawyer. Hmm. And I actually flipped the middle finger at him in my mind. <laughs> and you know what that means? You can go become your lawyer. I'm not doing no law. <laughs> so in flipping the middle finger at him, I decided to, uh, after high school, I left my parents' home. I went to college. Huh. But to really spite them, I decided to choose to go study social work <laughs> because social work in Nigeria at that, at that time is committing a career suicide. Right. <laughs> so fast forward, final year of college, I encountered Jesus. Hmm. Um, I think there were confluence of many things. Um, the reality of graduating is coming and the reality that I'll need uh, somewhere to go to. It's there, mm. the mm. existential reality. I yeah. think, you know, sometimes God allows all the confluences of things in our lives to get us to the place that he wants. And I don't say God brings. It wasn't a negative. It was mm. just a, a reality of my life was, mm. I will graduate in about nine months. So what next? I have to go somewhere. I can't live in the dormitory. I can't get the regular paycheck that I get from the government. Uh based on the region that I come from in Nigeria, you get paid mm. to go to school. Mm -hmm. So I was on the bus, on the shuttle bus from campus, from my residence to the lecture hall. And this lady preached a brilliant message. 
On the bus. On the bus. Oh, this yeah. is, it still happens in Nigeria. Yeah, well. We'll get on a public bus, you will hear a sermon somewhere. A hot gospel. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she preached the sermon and said, you've been running away from everything that your parents had wanted you, but God has got you right where he wants you. Mm. And I thought this lady, someone gave her a memo about me. <laughs> anyway, she did an altar call and I... On the bus? On the bus. They do the altar call. This is called student's bus. Wow. This, is, this is not a small bus. This is yeah. a coach bus. Wow. Uh, more, not as comfortable as coach bus. It's like a regular uh, bus that... Public transport. Students, yeah. Public transport. Yeah. Wow. So, um, that night, I really went back and said, God, if truly the gospel that this lady talked about, it's real... Show yourself to me. Mm. And at that point, I was a heavy chain smoker. Mm. And I said, first testimony, God, I want to get rid of this habit of smoking because I can't go back to my parents thinking, honestly, gone. Wow. Never smoked a day after that night. Wow. That's, I think this is about 26, 27 years ago. Wow. And so... And I managed to pick up and dust up my old Gideon's Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, those pocket testaments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I did the Lord's Prayer. I said, God, I really sincerely believe what I heard this morning was about me. Mm. If, you're, if you're the one beckoning me, I want that encounter. I want what that lady's talking about. Mm. And so I did the sinner's prayer, uh, in, urged to smoke, left had no interest in smoking, from smoking 20 a pack a day. Wow. Yeah. To having no single urge, no, none. Hmm. And I knew that was miracle. And I decided to go find myself a youth group. Hmm. So, I, so I kind of scrolled back towards where my parents live and joined a youth group there. So I, how old are you at the time, Sam? I was 19. Wow. Yes. So I went back, found a youth group, and, and, and finding the youth group, all the youth folks just loved on me. Mm. And so that wasn't the catch. Imagine I'm a social work graduate. I'm about to graduate. And the reality of, I choose this dead end career. Mm. And as God will have it, there's a lady in my class who's so studied the same faculty department with me. She and I have become friends, but not any, just casual friends, classmates. Mm. And she said to me, there is a ministry in Joss, an inner city ministry that is just starting. And they really are just looking for a social worker. And even though she too is a social worker, she already has a job. Uh, but she said, and they will love to have a male social worker who is a Christian. And all I do outside of my classwork is devouring my Bible. Mm. And I said, deal me in. It let me know who they are. I went, volunteered. Seven years later, I was working as an inner city missionary in Nigeria. Wow. Yes. And that's where this passage really hit home for me. Wow. Uh, we were we are in the inner city ministry called Urban Frontiers Mission. Hmm. Uh, we reach out to drug addicts, prostitutes, and we run a discipleship and a rehabilitation home. Wow. First, we help reconcile them to God and then reconcile them to their family. Mm. And that particular ministry took me all the way to living in Amsterdam. 
mm. working with African immigrants that have been yeah. that yeah. have been trafficked. This is before the turn of the century mm. that have been trafficked to Europe and uh, and people and, tend to forget that human trafficking is something that people are very aware of now. Yeah, and there's uh, lots of different organisations, but. I mean, when you were doing it, no. it wasn't a conversation. The UN weren't talking about it. Like the- it wasn't even termed human trafficking because wow. I, they were just immigrants, illegal immigrants in Europe, but no one knew why they were in Europe. They were in Europe simply mm. because someone came to their village and promised uh, somebody's daughter a promising career in Europe. They get mm. them to Europe and they said, "You're now my slave." Yeah. Uh, so and so, and we have heard via because of our na- the nature of our ministry involvement, we've heard that it's just a hard place. Yeah, and there are quite a, a lot of African immigrants that went out of it, but they don't know how. Yeah, they don't have a travel document. So one of my role was to be able to see how do I connect them back to their different countries. Mm. So I technically became sort of a West African global citizen because a lot of them are West, where West Africans, yeah, um, either French or English. Mm. So I was so as a result of being in that ministry, I traveled all over West Africa, and so have been doing this until I felt a sense of call to join YWAM because at that time YWAM in Amsterdam was doing a similar work. Hmm. And I kind of like this crazy YWAMers because they're just a bunch of people of faith like me. Hmm. But, uh, you know, some, I don't want to say I heard a loud voice from God that says it's time to move uh, to other ministry. But I just felt more connection with YWAMers because I started hmm. bringing YWAM teams. Even though I wasn't yet a YWAMer, I brought YWAM teams. YWAM teams came to work with me in Nigeria. Hmm. And, and I was so surprised when we first met. Yeah. We met in the context of... I met you as a leader of one of the Anabaptist Peace Church denominations in the U.S. Yeah. And as we were talking uh, about things and I was learning about your background, you mentioned YWAM and I was like, really? Yes. Like, you do all this, like, non-violence work and this kind of stuff? Um, Because I I had a, you know, YWAM is, it's a broad church. It's, like, very diverse. You can hear some stories about YWAM and it's, like, um, incredible reconciliation work. You can hear other stuff and you're like, oh, Wow, that's um, quite di- quite different. Yes, right? yes it's quite different. It's so different. when you first told me that, like that was that was quite a shock for me. Yeah, I still get that even from the Church of the Brethren. The connection mm. between YWAM, Anabaptist, radical peacemaker, nonviolence practitioner, uh, to connect it with YWAM sometimes doesn't fit. But mm. so and and for Australians, yeah. um, we don't have Church of the Brethren, and so we we have a group called Brethren. Um, which uh, close brethren are quite extremist, and um, but brethren is a term that the the Dunkers, one of these um, Pietist Anabaptist radical peace churches, um, uh, took the term Church of the Brethren in the fifties, sixties, trying to be a little bit more hip. Yes, <laughs> and with within five or so years, like um, with the women's movement, they were already discussing should we change the name? Yeah. But at the moment, it's still. Uh, called Church of the Brethren, this Anabaptist group. But the interesting thing about Church of the Brethren that Mm. I need to put in here is, even though it's Church of the Brethren, it has very, uh, the connotation of just manly men. No, we were the first denomination in the U.S. to ordain women. Yeah. We've had women in ministry for over 50 years. Yeah. And women have been ordained pastors and all of that. So, And I learned about uh, the Brethren through a, a thick 
book with my nerdiness around peace church traditions and um, uh, realizing that Art Gish, who was important in starting the Christian peacemaker teams, mm -hmm. um, like there's so many Church of the Brethren people uh, who were involved in starting um, the Christian peacemaker teams and uh, the the Heifer uh, Heifer Heifer project Heifer project Heifer International yeah. started by Dan West who is a Church of the Brethren uh, even um, the American volunteers that were inspired by um, by uh, conscientious objection yeah 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 and that that whole model of um, the Church of the Brethren's Brethren radical Parliament. pacifism mm -hmm. where you had people um, uh, going to jail. Um, or saying we won't take up arms, but we will serve in the hardest places. Um, so it's it's this small tradition that's had this huge impact, even um, uh, rapid response to uh, natural disasters. Brethren for years and years and years, Church of Brethren, have been um, the go-to of how do we mobilise large-scale volunteer um, army that carry no weapons that respond uh, to people with compassion when there's an earthquake or when there's a tsunami or when there's uh, a flooding or a tidal wave or whatever. Like, it's it's amazing, the impact. Yeah. So, if I may come back to this passage. Well, before the passage. Yes. You can't jump there just yet. Um, you're on a bus and you're hearing in the air the Bible. Yeah. And then you go home, you find your little Gideon's Bible. You're connecting the influence of in your own home between like some Christian influence and suddenly it's becoming alive for you as you're reading the Bible. Yeah. As you were reading the Bible for the first time, was it something that was liberating or something that was oppressive? Was it something that like, how did you actually encounter the scripture initially? How, how did it, how did it impact you? I think I was, I was reading it in awe. There were some passages that it's mm. like, wow. Well, you know, the Gideon's Bible, I had the New Testament first. And the Psalms, probably. Yeah, yeah, that's, Psalms. yeah that's right. <laughs> so, um, I have gone to Sunday school as a kid, hmm. but it wasn't really just parents drop you off at the church. Hmm. But encountering the scripture, reading for myself and getting an understanding, uh, beginning in Matthew with all the genealogy. And yeah. It, it kind of give, put a lot of things for me in context. Yeah. That this scripture didn't just emerge out of nowhere. Yes. It emerged out of a written, documented history. But in the documented history, I, I remember trying the tongue-breaking names in the altar in, in Matthew, the genealogy, mm. Matthew 5 and 6, mm. before the Sermon on the Mount, mm -hmm. that talks about the birth and who mm -hmm. begat who. And so all of this genealogy and looking, connecting it and seeing all the different people groups that were involved yeah. that were a part of the history of Jesus's life. Yes. So that part stood including out. Africans. Yes. Yeah. That stood out for me. Yeah. As the story includes my story. Wow. And when I say my story it may not be directly linked to my family but it tells the African story because yes. uh it recognized the contribution of the people from my neck of the wood my back yeah. of the wood in the gospel. Yeah. So uh, that opened me up immediately to really engage the scripture as this is a story that I need to pay attention to. Yeah. And so actually within the first three months, I've read all the entire New Testament. Wow. The, my first year of being, knowing, being saved, I've read the Bible cover to cover twice. Wow. 
because I just wanted to know more. I yeah. was hungry, and I was in a different. I attended youth group. I was in a Bible study group. Uh, every chance opportunity I have to hang out with somebody who has been a Christian longer, I just want to ask them questions. Wow! Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. As we read this passage, one of the things that Inverse Podcast is about is reading the Bible to turn our world upside down. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to ask about what particular perspectives people bring when reading the Bible. I, I know that almost the way you encountered the Bible is a very um, uh, Donker Peace Church kind of perspective because mm-hmm. they say things like, no creed but the New Testament. Yes. And you read the New Testament cover to cover first before mm-hmm. reading the rest. And that's a very, because of their pacifism, they emphasize uh, the, the New Testament as how we read the Old Testament. But for you, what particular lenses or what particular perspectives um, do you see the world through? that you think are important for others to consider when they're seeking to read the Bible in a way that does turn our world upside down. Because I'm very aware a lot of people read the Bible and will quote proof text to prop the world up as it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Your whole life is a witness to the alternative of that. Have you thought much about how you articulate the particular way in which you read Scripture or would encourage us to read Scripture to turn our worlds upside down? I think my form theology of peace that is innate in me, not necessarily within the Church of the Brethren, hmm. have always helped me to look at the scripture from turning our world upside down hmm. and living the world the way it is. Wow. And so finding Church of the Brethren earlier on in the game, really, it's like finding the right glove that fits your right. hand. And so instead of feeling like you're a weirdo because Jesus calls us to peace, you're like, hey, these people are weird like me. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sort of an island of misfit toys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and I approach scripture with not pretext or proof text. I approach scripture with what is Jesus saying to us right now? In this moment and in this day, I hmm. I seek to contextualize the scripture in the context that I am living in. By contextualizing it in the context is not to, but question some context though. Yeah. Uh, because if I read the Bible in the midst of an empire, I don't contextualize it in an empire's term. Yes. I look at there is an alternative because my understanding of uh the Sermon on the Mount, and most especially as brethren, the Sermon on the Mount is sort of our go-to scripture. The new, we, yeah. we emphasize the New Testament. We don't have any creed, but the New Testament. As, uh, but the Sermon on the Mount is something that really stands out for yeah. me. It, it's kind of the canon within the canon for the for the Dunker Punks. Yes, for the Dunker yeah. Punks. It is the <laughs> canon within the canon. And so uh, my approach to scripture have often been what truth is Jesus speaking to power? Mm. Who is he calling to our line? Mm. Because oftentimes, power have a way of controlling how scripture is narrated. That's right. But Jesus came in, he turned everything upside down. Mm. And he questioned the narrative of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who think they know it all. Yeah. By showing a different way. 
And so when I approach scripture, and I'm not approaching it to look for a way to spite someone or spite the powers that be, but to be able to question why and how, why should we, how have we been doing this over and over and expect a different result? Yeah. If the kingdom of God is here and now and the future kingdom, hmm. why is the kingdom not realized in every area of our lives? Yeah. So um, my approach to scriptures often, when we say the Lord's Prayer, I'm always hinged on that, and, and that thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Yeah. And the kingdom of God is not a kingdom that separates. Hmm. A kingdom of God is a kingdom that empowers. A kingdom of God is a kingdom that looks for the vulnerable in society hmm. and prop them up. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that seeks justice, like in the words of the prophet Amos, who says, let justice roll down like waters mm. and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Mm. And if this is the kind of kingdom of God, that's the kind of kingdom I want to see brought to where I live. Yeah, that's correct, Sam. And so every time I open the scripture, it's the lens that I tend to get hooked on. Mm. And that was there for you before you found the Church of the Brethren, and, and that's why they became like a homecoming for you. Yes. Where do you think that came from in you, though? Like, um, was that in you before YWAM? Was it in you before the youth groups? Was it, um, where do you think, where was that mustard seed first planted? If I'm going to put a finger on it, I'll say in my family. Yeah, wow, that's my amazing. My father was an avid peacemaker. Yes. Without the word peacemaking. Hmm. My father dealt with people in power and people at the lowest margin of society. Hmm. Growing up, we all fret going out with him. <laughs> Not because he is sort of a bully. Hmm. No, you may never get to where you're going on and on the scheduled plan. <laughs> That's how your kids relate to you. I've watched your girls walk around with you and they're like, oh no, dad is stopping to talk to all these people. So your dad was like that as well. My dad was exactly that. And is, I said, that I'll never hilarious. be like my father. You are exactly <laughs> like that. Yeah. So, and he was a man of peace. I have seen people in government, top officials, like ministers. Mm. He was just a middle manager, like supervisor. Mm -hmm. I have seen ministers come to our house to seek his wisdom. And I've seen people that are hungry come to our house to get some food. Mm. And because of the nature of his travel, he he travels and fill up a truck with food. Wow. And when he comes, my mother becomes the distributor in the whole neighborhood. Beautiful. Yeah. So I think that was where I see a, a different alternative to yeah. life. Uh, if I will say point to a specific place. Yeah. But apart from that, I think each and every one of us have a God peace in us. Mm. And that God peace Sometimes it's been silenced either by our circumstances or the environment. Mm. But because the Bible says we're created in the image of God, Amen. male and female, mm. in his likeness. And if we all have an image of God in us, I am convinced that there's that inner, that image of God in every one of us that once we discover it, we'll seek to reflect better in the world that we live in. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. So, so for you as a 19-year-old, when you're, when you're reading your little Gideon's 
Bible because you're so hungry. What you saw in your parents' life, you were connecting. This is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the kingdom. For you, it was practical. Yes. That, like, blessed are the poor meant the actual poor. Yes. <laughs> Not just people who feel a bit poorly today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's incredible. So I can connect that dot there. And throughout my life's journey of the ministries that I've been involved with, I have found myself being a voice that there's so many people that are voiceless. Mm. And actually, this is what Jesus was doing in this passage. Yeah, well, would you help us read this in such ways that turn our world upside down, Sammy? See, when you read 35 and 36, it says Jesus was going through towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every diseases and sickness. Mm. As he was going, he never, he didn't, Jesus did not settle in one place. Yeah. He was constantly a man on the move. Mm. And as he moves, he is ushering in this peaceable kingdom. Mm. And in ushering in that kingdom, he was not just doing it by just talking, pontificating in a temple, Mm. but he was going from the temple preaching to reaching the villages where he gets to have an encounter with the with the woman at the well. Mm. He was going to have an encounter with the Zacchaeus, the tax collectors. Mm. He was having an encounter everywhere, having dinner at Mary Magdalene's house, mm. having dinner at Zacchaeus's house. So he was constantly. He's got this. Jesus have had this ability to be drawn to the rejects, if I may use yeah. the word. Excuse my French. A reject is not. I'm not saying anybody is a reject, like yeah. a factual reject. But those who are but rejected, those whose yeah. society have marginalized, have yes. cast to the side, and Jesus brings them back to the center. Mm. So he healed their physical infirmity mm. as well as those that have a spiritual infirmity. He heals yeah. both. Yes. So he's constantly, and then when he does that. There's a lens that when he, in the same passage, you see, it says when he saw the crowd. Mm. And I want to imagine that probably along the journey, you know, as I drive from Cape to, from here to uh, to Fisher, sometimes I go by Boy's Drive. Mm. Boy's Drive is the higher highway, which is right by the mountain. And sometimes I oh, where Chappie's yeah, um, Chapman's Point Peak, Peak, Chapman's Peak. Peak. Chapman's sometimes, Peak. I'm slowly learning yes. the geography of uh, the Cape. Yeah. So sometimes I just come out of my car and I look at what a beautiful city we live in. Hmm. But in the midst of this beautiful city, I am broken by what apartheid has done to this city. Yeah. And. So I may not see physical people, but I see crowds of so many lost people. Mm. So I imagine Jesus going through towns and villages that he encounters and see lots of people, some being lost in their ivory tower of academia, Mm. some being lost in their high banking institutions, Mm. Some being lost, not that they are lost physically. Yeah, they're just lost spiritually. Yeah, and so Jesus looks at them, and he was moved with compassion. You know, the natural human inkling is to look at those that have all the societal accolades and say they've made it. They're not lost. Mm. Outside of Christ, they are lost. 
Mm. But to help them recover that sense of humanness in them is what Jesus is doing. And Samuel, I find this fascinating because I know your work and your work with those who have been marginalized. And I would have guessed that you might have not started with those lost in the ivory towers or lost in the boardroom, but actually start with those who lost in neighborhoods that are referred to as townships, lost in... But I hear from you in terms of the context of your ministry, the danger is that we can't name the lostness of those who lock themselves away in protected communities from the pain of the world, that we can't see how lost people are who um, think they're better than others Mm -hmm. and how easy it is for when we see the injustices to then start dehumanizing them. And you're saying that here Jesus being moved with compassion is compassion not just for the lost in the shanty towns but it's the lost in the gated communities yes and so this brings me to my really how i unpack this in my non-violence work Mm. you see the third principle in king's philosophy of non-violence is attack forces of evil Mm. not people doing evil yeah And the forces of evil can be the systems that have been put in place that allow the lost who are actually lost to feel like because I live in the locked gated communities or in the ivory tower, the tendency is to attack them as an individual. But it is the system, the evil system that needs to be attacked. When we do that, it helps them to see that they have a moral ethical responsibility mm. to, be, to, play a pl- to play a part in bringing a restoration and reconciliation. Yeah. Uh, because if I continue my work in nonviolence, as I raise awareness and mobilize and organize the community of those that have been marginalized, mm. they need the other side of the community that has, that has the well, material security mm. to be able to lock hands to work towards justice and peace and reconciliation. Well, as you say this, I think of um, I'm I'm from a gated community nation, right? Mm. Australia is a whole nation of a gated community, and so we don't see the extremes of poverty that here in Cape Town is is so evident. Like you go past these mansions and then uh, you, you drive past the flats and you see homes that corrugated iron uh, roof with rocks on top. Mm-hmm. And Australia is a, a gated community as an island. And those who uh, uh, seek safety, we literally respond to asylum seekers and refugees like my friends on Manus this past week while we've been here and there's been over 20 suicide attempts. How... How do we start to connect that what feels safe where we shut others out isn't good news? Because you you mentioned here in the language that Jesus uses, the good news of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. What is this kingdom? Like what 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 is what does it mean? Righteousness, justice, peace, and reconciliation. Huh? They are intertwined. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of justice. Hmm. Uh, the prophet uh, Isaiah said, "They shall turn their swords into pruning hook. Mm. They will nations will know no war." Yeah. 
I think the kingdom of God is when those that have power, yeah, perceived power, yes, relinquish that perceived power. Wow, Sammy. To walk towards reconciliation. I'll tell you a, tr- a true story in Jeffreys Bay. Huh. Jeffreys Bay, South Africa. 2002, I started a project called Community Empowerment Center. Hmm. Um, it all happened, I, I have just recently gotten married and Gretchen and I are living in, in between, it's a nice neighbor, uh, small cottage hmm. that is surrounded by two factory shops for Bellabong surf gear. Waves of yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So there's this young man that always stands on the street corner uh, with a sign pointing to this community, to the shops, and he gets his 10, 10 rand, 20 rand, and go get marijuana to hmm. kind of knock himself up. He sleeps on a golf course. Yeah. And so the reality came to me that everyone, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, everyone in Wyoming that I know had led that young man to Christ. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is interesting, right? This is a question yes. of what is this kingdom? Yes. Because if the, the kingdom is merely accepting Jesus into your heart, well, then, he's done it. He's, I know for two years that I was in Jeffreys Bay. I've seen him everywhere while I practice evangelism on that young man. <laughs> so he's been saved numerous times. <laughs> right. And I'll come to staff meeting and people go, oh, this young man prayed to receive Jesus today. Next to another person, young man prayed to receive Jesus. And I keep going, interesting. Probably. So, so the sign that he works for, the owner of the factory shop owns the cottage that I leave, live in, what that Gretchen and I live in. Hmm. So we just returned from honeymoon and he came dropping the sign off. So I asked him, just strike a conversation with him. He hmm. told me his name. After that, I asked him, so what do you do? Even though I've seen him, I haven't mm. seen him for over two years. He said, he does this. And so I asked him, do you enjoy it? His response blew me off. He said, no, I don't. I do this to survive. Mm. He said, I want to get married and have children. And I want to get a real job that I can help my mother in the Eastern Cape. Wow. And my sister is dying of AIDS in wow. one go. See, I've just been married. I know what that means. Yeah. Oh, he who finds a good wife is blessed of the Lord. <laughs> so. Amen. And then the next is he wants a job. And I ask him, can you read? He said, no. Hmm. The, my brain, I think, went on a Ferrari speed of about felt like like it's on an autobahn in Germany, drive as fast as you can go. <laughs> and I said, I can help you, I can help teach you how to read. Because for me, how do I make the kingdom real to this young man? Yes. And I said, but I can only teach you to read when you drop off the sign every day. Mm. So we had a picnic table in a small like orchard area in the cottage. He comes and I'll teach him how to type Mm. With my little lap, old laptop that is a desktop. If you mm-hmm. look at it today, it's a, the size of a desktop. I'll teach him how to type with Mavis Bacon Typing Tutor. And I'm teaching him to read at the same time. Mm. Because you cannot type without reading. Mm. 
three months. I don't know what happened. He could type 60 words per minute. Wow. He was so good. Wow. And he mustered the courage to go find a waiting job in a restaurant as a dishwasher. Hmm. By the end of the sixth month, he's not just a dishwasher. He's a waiter in a really upmarket restaurant. Wow. So, do you know the story in John where Jesus healed the blind young man hmm. who everybody knew? Hmm. And the Pharisees called him and said, who healed you? Mm. He said, I don't know, some guy called Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus didn't preach to him. Yeah. He restored the young man's sight and said, you can go. Yeah. And they interviewed his parents to ask who healed him. Because somehow their pharisaical understanding of the law is, mm. you must have sinned. That's why your son is born with blindness. Mm. So, so everybody knew his story in town, the blind man. And so everybody in the township where we have about 60% unemployment in Jeffreys Bay wow. knew this young man. Yeah. And suddenly he can see or, you know, yeah. type, suddenly, has a job, can read. Yeah. Everybody said, yeah. what happened? And he said, I don't know. There's a guy, Samuel, that helped me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, in less than a year, I have over 160 young people that I was teaching computer lessons mm. because I am convinced that the kingdom of God restores dignity Amen. to those that feel their voice has been taken over away. Yeah. And that might sound like a cute little project, like uh, teaching computer lessons, but for people to understand the impact it had on that community, you were seeing people come out of like literally, which would have been lifelong poverty because literacy skills, employment, and this is why the ANC at the time, um, instead of you knocking on the door wanting political influence, yes. they come knocking on your door yes. and start asking you, hey, how do we do this? How do we... So the government comes to you yes. and says, all you are seeking to do is give the dignity. Yes. So can we give you a land? Can we help build you a center? Yeah. But the connection here is, I had a church that is all white, Hmm. proper, doing well, my cell group leader became so passionate and he's a business owner in town. One of the, hmm. he owns a couple of businesses and he said, my role is I will employ anyone that comes through this training. Wow. You see, that's where the ivory tower, you need to help them to understand that they too need deliverance. And Sammy, I find this fascinating because Seeing salvation in the breadth of the biblical sense, I mean, this brother is in church, like his family in church. Um, he said the sinner's prayer. Now, the brother that you met on the side of the street with a sign, mm -hmm. he said the sinner's prayer a number of times with a bunch of people. Yeah. Both of them have, may have have a real sense of salvation in terms of like personally this, what it means to their heart. Side, yeah, yeah. yeah. But neither of them have been caught up in a kingdom kind of project, which is actually good news. Yes. And so the brother with the business that would damn him into his wealth as it grows yeah. is suddenly that's turned upside down as he realizes the purpose for his business is not himself and building up wealth where moths and rust right. will destroy, yeah. but instead to bless and give dignity to people who have nothing. 
Yes. And by joining forces, he did not come because he wanted. He said he understand what the kingdom of God is because we pray for our city. Wow. And in the place of, our, he was my cell group leader. Yeah. In the place of prayers, he said, I need to get involved in this. This is the kingdom of God. Yeah. And this is, this was his word. This is the kingdom of God. Yeah. And I want to be part of it. Because often people don't think that the kingdom has content. Yeah. And the first thing you said was righteousness, justice, dignity. What, what else did Peace you... Peace and reconciliation. Peace and reconciliation. Yeah. I mean, if, if the reign of God, when God is in a place, <laughs> what it looks like needs these things. Yes. Well, suddenly church ministries would transform overnight. So, fast forward, there was a young man in that same community who came through the same program. Today, he's a regional bank manager for APSA. Wow. An elder in his church. Wow. Plays his guitar. You can find his story. We just started conversing. And t- this is 2002, 2003. Mm. Fast forward. He's a regional bank manager Mm. from an ordinary community computer class. Mm. And so when the kingdom of God comes from the ivory tower, you realize that you are there to be hands and feet in fulfilling the kingdom. Yeah. You're not there for yourself. Mm. That, That does not mean to get rid of your riches. But you see your riches, all that God has given you, it's all his. Yeah. And you bring it back for the sake of the kingdom. And Mm. you lift those. You float the boat Mm. that everyone's boat get to... You float the the lake Mm. that everyone's boat get to float on Mm. the lake. Which is a a metaphor that sometimes gets employed in such ways that, um, you know, like trickle down and uh, that kind of stuff. But... You're actually talking about, no, no, we have to open the floodgates. Yes. Like if the floodgates don't open up, the waters don't rise. Yeah, because we have a boat in that same lake. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, well, and this is an interesting thing in terms of like, um, uh, as somebody who's grown up in the land we refer to as Australia, like being here, one of the things that's most um, striking is uh, it's dangerous. Right. Like it it can be like people say careful walking at night, all that kind of. um, And ironically, the safety of those who gate themselves away because of their fear. One of the ways to make things most safe is to help those who have nothing, who otherwise don't have an option, but to steal what you have. Yeah. That's the irony of gated communities. Hmm. Uh, since we've been back in Cape Town, I couldn't stay in a gated community. Mm. A just gated community that you have to use your fingerprint to go in Mm -hmm. and fingerprint out. I felt claustrophobic. Mm. Even though I live in a, currently I live in a more open gated community than Mm. uh, nobody writes whose name, who came in and who goes out. But the first two months of where renting, I'm still renting here though, it's a place where it's sort of a little bit open. Mm. And so that has been, because I don't want to, when you lock yourself in or you lock those you don't want in out, what happened is uh, 
the poverty continues to grow. The yeah. despair, the despair that people get in get worse. Yeah. And that's how they end up acting in the stupid way they want to. Or they end up acting. Yeah. Uh, because they get to a point of saying, life is meaningless. Yes. I may never get out of this. So back to the story of the young man. Mm. By the end of one year, he had become a restaurant manager in Johannesburg. Wow. I have helped him. I did help him in South Africa when you don't have an ID document, which is like your identification card. Yeah, it's kind of like a driver's license, but not for a car, but for yourself, yes. right? You can't really do anything in society without it. Comes it comes with birth certificate. I don't know what you guys have in Australia. In the U.S., is social security number. Right. If you don't have that social security number, you don't exist. Hmm. In South Africa, the same. If you don't have your ID, ID book, you don't exist. So I had to help this young man regain first his life skill mm. and his humanity mm. because of some book. That, and I'm not against the book, but it took my time driving back and forth to Eastern Cape, going to get letter of attestation and testimonial from people in his village, from wow. his mother to testify that this is my son, this is the day that he was born, and come back to all the bureaucratic bottleneck he the only reason he could be gainfully employed was he got that id document mm. and the fact that he knew we are working towards typing lessons which is reading and working towards id mm. he knew he could become a human being yeah wow so jesus continuing on our passage when he looks at the harassed and the helpless, like sheep, he is saying to he said to his disciples, honestly, I find this passage really sometimes crazy oxymoron. Jesus, you have your disciples, send them to go to make disciples. He said, No. Pray to the Lord of the harvest hmm. that he may send laborers into his harvest field. I had a revelation sometimes here about this. Mm. Not every need is a call for me, Samuel. Huh. When I see a need, I pray to God and God gives me the wisdom. Is this what I should do or is this what I should pass on? Mm. Because the need is plenty. The harvest is plenty. Mm. I don't want to get bogged down on what is not mine to do. Yeah. To follow the call of God to do what is mine. Yes. And I think I personally, and at this point in my life, I'll tell you, I have found that I am called as a peacemaker, conflict transformer, a nonviolent social change guy. Mm. Uh, those are just labels that I can say sure. and can handle. But uh, I do soup ministry but I cannot do soup ministry for a long time. Hmm. I get burnt out doing soup ministry. Yeah. But I can work for justice and reconciliation. Yeah. It feels I, I become alive when I yes. do what what I'm passionate, what I yeah. sense. Yeah. Because it gives me life. So each and every one of us has something that is unique in. Remember mm. I began by saying there is an image of God in everyone. Mm. And that image of God tends to draw us towards compassion. But then there is a general 
call to wanting to long to be this salt and light in this generation. Mm. And then in the midst of it, you'll find that which is your particular. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that you get to not have a heart for people who need soup. It's how you express your heart for the harassed and the helpless. Yeah. Might not be in a soup kitchen. Mm -hmm. It might be in a community garden. Yes. Or it might be in homework lessons. Yes. Or it might be in driving lessons. Or it might like, but it's to find where the things that um, bring you alive, uh, you realize that that's actually the the place where you're called. Um, Mother Teresa talked about as the the calling within the calling. Yes. We're all called to follow Jesus. Compassion isn't optional. You don't go get to go. No, no, no. It's your call to care for the poor. <laughs> That's just following Jesus. We all do. Yeah. But how we do it, that will depend on like our gifts, our talents, our passions, our, our desires. Our, like, what are the things where we come alive? And that's a very different approach, isn't it? Instead of this anxiety as we approach our activism or our service in the community, mm-hmm. um, uh, instead of this anxiety, we, we now approach it with a sense of joy and, a, and an intimate listening to our own soul and what makes it sing. Yeah. That's amazingly wise, Samuel. I, I am struck that so many people hear this passage and you, you know um in terms of your involvement with ywam and they have you back um they have us both back I, i've been uh, teaching <laughs> back to uh, back uh, back to back that's right I, i've got this week you've got next yeah. um you're doing kingian nonviolence in yeah. this ywam course um teaching the richness of martin luther king and uh, um how his philosophies were summarized by jim lawson and others into this in- incredibly powerful um program that you're rolling out i've been uh, doing uh, a gospel that liberates with Jonathan Martin and drawing on the wisdom of uh, the uh, experience of um, contextual theology in South Africa and uh, women's theology and black theology and what they mean here um, and looking at the Kairos document and uh, how it names you know, um, state theology as in apartheid theology and church theology, which is only concerned about souls and then prophetic theology. This is what I find fascinating about what you're saying about this passage, because you're talking about prophetic theology mm-hmm. done by the church that doesn't separate souls from the whole. Yes. So it's not that you're not concerned about people finding personal healing and, a, and, a, and an intimate relationship with their maker. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that kingdom has content and it has to express itself. Yeah. In terms of peace, reconciliation, righteousness, justice. We find healing when there's justice. Oh, say more. A story will best express this. Hmm. this, this say more. 2009, Rockford, Illinois. Hmm. Two white police officers shot a teenager, a black teenager in the basement of a black church with 20 kids in a daycare. Goodness. The city exploded, uh, exploded in riot. This is before Black Lives Matter in the U.S. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have just arrived this city, just less than a year. Wow. And, and you're pastoring there? Um, I am a church planter. I have no church. I mm. am called parachute into this, this city by the Church of the Brethren. Now you go plant a church. Wow. <laughs> All the model of church planting that I was taught in church planting school, it's sort of a Walmart model. <laughs> if, if, if you've been in the US you understand well, Walmart, set up yeah. shop 
invite people, have a ribbon cutting. Doesn't work for me. I intentionally go into that city praying, God, what are you calling our church to be? For three months, I did not tell a single person about Jesus. Mm. I took the bus from one every every part of our fifty-eight square mile of our city. I have been. Wow! You just rode the bus. I rode the bus where you first heard the gospel. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> There is something about bus. Yeah. <laughs> We can talk about my multiple bus ministries. You know, I have a bus in Nigeria. No. We can talk about that someday. Wow. I have a mobile lab in, in the US hmm. that's on wheels. Wow. That is, yes. So, but anyway, let me not get digressed from this particular uh, mm. question that, you, that mm. I'm trying to address. What happened is when those two white police officers see the riot in my city, the first week, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton mm -hmm. had a protest march with a couple of white folks. Mm. The next week, there was a protest march in support of the two white police officers from the east side of the city, terminating on the west side of the city, 100% white. Wow. When I witnessed this, I said, God, the church is asleep. Mm. And I took it up. I sensed, I heard a sense of a call. I mm. couldn't, wouldn't say I took it that justice and righteousness needs to be, need to kiss. Mm. Hmm. And so I organized a Kenyan nonviolence training hmm. and I brought leaders from both communities. So for me, the kingdom of God is prophetic hmm. at the same time has a content. So yeah. we cannot just talk about the soul without bringing transformation. Yeah. So the story in the last 10 years is we have radically, through that intentional ministry, I have worked and we've transformed the police department. Hmm. And it's now becoming a model police department that actually across the country. And I've heard this from other people in the US, the Rockford Police Department and the work that they've done yeah. is a model um, that is desperately needed because of like the, you know, it, it's like horrific the number of people that die at the hands of those who are Supposed sworn to, to pro protect them. Yeah. And I, since then, I have trained the Rockford Police Department on nonviolence community policing. Wow. And have worked with them to div diversify what community policing can look like. And we are, we are in the second phase of our community policing model which is now we have uh, police officers living in the community, not because you want to police the community, but to be a good neighbor. Yeah. Can you imagine who is supposed to terrorize you now is your neighbor? Yeah. Well, And, and when I tell people yeah. about your witness and the stuff that uh, I always put it in terms of if, if you're shopping at the same place that you have to work, you're going to relate to people differently. Yes. If your kids are going to the same school that you have to work, you're going to relate to people differently. It's no different if you're a police officer. Yeah. And you're not going to be so trigger happy if you know that your kids are in the same neighborhood, you have to go to the same shops, um, you're in churches in the same neighborhood or synagogues or temples or whatever or else, or, yeah. or mosque or um, 
Uh, or none of the above. <laughs> yeah. Or you just meet it, in a coffee shop. Yeah, <laughs> it, but it, it changes the way you are in a space if it becomes your community. Yeah. So so we have the Rockford Police model. I see, I see the two, the prophetic and the kingdom coming. Mm. Mm. And the kingdom of God is, again... It's not some ivory tower that is set for a privileged few. Yeah. It is for all. Wow. And all are invited into this kingdom. That's, yeah. That's powerful, Samuel. And suddenly this text, which gets used about evangelism, we realize that um, our evangelism isn't evangelism if it's not the good news, which is the term that's used there in the Greek, evangelion yeah. of the basilica, yeah. like um, as in the the evangelion of the kingdom, mm-hmm. that um, the only good newsing we have to do is the good news of God's coming kingdom, which is righteousness and justice and peace and, and reconciliation. reconciliation, which that would transform the way that churches think about evangelism. And instead of approaching the guy on the corner with the sign and asking him to pray the sinner's prayer, we can start praying the Lord's Prayer in such ways that we (laughs) respond to him in ways that righteousness and justice and peace and reconciliation create the kind of dignity that your ministries have across the world now. Like I know of your ministries here in South Africa, in Nigeria, (laughs) in the US, like it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it's. A, I think I found the greatest privilege, the greatest honor to be a global citizen now. Hmm. I can, uh, with the recent trips that I've been going to uh, to Europe to to give a talk at the university in, in Aarhus, has just been uh, another opportunity that I have never dreamt of. Hmm. So, and I am convinced that the church in this era hmm. have a potential. To be a witness. Yeah. And are we going to shut people out or are we going to shut ourselves in? <laughs> yeah. Because we act as a men, we want to shut everybody out. But actually, what we're doing is we're shutting ourselves in. Mm. And we need to open the floodgate and allow everyone to come in. Yeah. Whether it's our borders. Mm. I know this, I get a lot. But when I spoke about this border shift and this kingdom mindset, but they are not like us. Hmm. Jesus could have stayed in in Jerusalem Hmm. where everyone looked like him. Hmm. (laughs) But he went about Hmm. bringing the kingdom. And the church is called to bring in the kingdom. Hmm. And without going into a new subject, the shalom of that kingdom that yes. goes with it. Yeah. That you give a cup of cold water to those that are thirsty. Mm. You give a place for a refugee to have a home to stay. Mm. Because he or she, if his condition is better, he wouldn't have run yeah. from wherever he is running away from. Mm. Because everyone, I believe, has a sense of Wanting to be in a stable place that is called their place. Yeah. If they are stable, nothing will move them. Mm. So the kingdom of God is not a bunch of propositions. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. We've, we've really chipped the gospel yeah. by making it a bunch of propositions. If I can convince this person to accept Jesus as, as Lord and Savior and still remain in the shack, in the township, mm. then I have succeeded because I can say I have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 salvations. What good is it for salvation without the kingdom? Ooh. So that is kind of, you see, I don't want to get a little bit too... Um, no, it's good. I don't, I don't want to pontificate here. No, no, that's so... But it's, it's wonderful. So if people are listening and they do sense that they do want to turn their world upside down, where would you suggest they start? Or what, what small thing can someone do to actually start on this journey? Actually, listen to your community. Yeah, Look around you. Yeah. The story of Yako. I like telling stories. I just find myself telling stories. <laughs> uh, this is a myth. Or I'm, I'm not sure where the story came from, but it's not a real story. But I'll tell you the moral of the story is sometimes in the church, in Christendom, we often think the need is out there. Let us just go. Yes, there is a need out there. Mm. Please go. Hmm. But sometimes our fulfillment is right next door. Yeah. So this is what brings me to the story of Yako. Yako is a Jewish boy in Eastern Europe who had this vivid dream that he needs to go to Prague and get into the palace of the king. And in the palace, in Soso and Soplis, there is a treasure that is hidden for him there. Hmm. So he managed to make his way back to Prague, into Prague and sneak into the palace and started digging. And the palace guards caught him and brought him before the king. And so the king asked him, what are you doing? <laughs> and Yako said he had the dream. And the dream kept coming, not just one night. And the king looked at him. I can throw you in jail, but I don't want to, young man. Do you think I'm crazy? Here is the dreams that I have been having. And he told Yoko his dream. That he's been dreaming that down in some little dungeon village in Eastern Europe, there is a shark. And in that shark, there is a stove. And behind that stove is a treasure. Hmm. He said to Yoko, do you think I'm crazy? I should go digging into that shark to find my treasure. Yako could not wait to get home from his release because the king just told him exactly where his treasure is. <laughs> Yako got home, moved the stove, and therein lies a treasure from his great-grandparents. Mm. The kingdom of God can be like that. Yeah. We often think the kingdom is all out there. If we can save all the people out there in order to get engaged, Maybe it's next door. Yeah. Just look closely. Yeah. You don't have to be your core to find out that your treasure is right where you are. Come on. It's so good, Sammy. And this is what I love for uh, uh, about that whole parable that you just told. You saw that in the man with the sign by the side of the road. Mm -hmm. And while so many pray for influence, while so many pray to grow their church, while so many pray for souls, while so many pray that they would find God's purpose or um, their destiny, 
You just went looking for the image of God in the person that other people couldn't see. And that whole project started by you seeing the treasure in him Mm -hmm. and teaching him how to read in a way where he could discover his dignity. Mm -hmm. And I listened to his story. I I didn't just go, I think I know what you need. Mm -hmm. I listened to his stories and his stories moved me. And the former president of this nation comes to you wanting to talk about the work you're doing because you could see the treasure in him. Yes. And how sad that so many people want the meeting with the president but have nothing to tell him because the only thing that is worth listening to they can't actually see in their neighbour on the side of the street or in themselves. So I'm thankful for you, brother. Oh, I love you so much. I love when we get to work together and plot and conspire to turn our world <laughs> upside do down. Too. I um, actually told Gimbia, one of our our intercultural director, that I'm going to hang out with Jared. She said, how does Jared get to hang out in all these beautiful places? And you, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We're, we're, we're spoiled. It's the irony of doing this stuff that you do end up in these uh, mm-hmm. amazing places with amazing people who are actually... Right outside our door. Mm-hmm. So thank you, brother. I love you. Thank you. If people want to find out more about how they can uh, uh, follow you or um, support the things that you're doing, what's the best way for people to do that? <laughs> or do you want people to do that? You just leave me alone. <laughs> I just stop bugging me. <laughs> no, no, I think I, I am a latecomer in the social media game. So, And it's not because I am not savvy with social media i'm mm. just i'm so busy doing it's what true yeah i'm doing that the last thing i often do is to try to talk about it yeah that's great so you can find me on center for nonviolencect.com mm. that's it that's where people should go nonviolencect.com brilliant yeah <laughs> thank you my friend thank you <laughs> the inverse podcast is proudly supported by you the listener And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.